3: In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: L-A-S-I-K,
3: LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every
1: answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
0: L A S I K, LASIK.com. Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eve. And welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was February 7th, 1926. Historian Dr. Carter G. Woodson, now affectionately known as the Father of Black History Month, launched a Negro History Week in partnership with the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Woodson's insistence on bringing Black history into the spotlight challenged popular notions about Black people's role in American history, helped preserve Black history and culture, and encouraged Black people to draw inspiration from the past. Woodson got a master's degree from the University of Chicago and a doctorate from Harvard in history, becoming the second African-American to get a PhD in history from the university. Woodson published his first book, The Education of the Negro Prior to 1861, in 1915, and he co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History that same year. The next year, the organization began publishing the Journal of Negro History, now called the Journal of African American History. Woodson noticed how often Black people were left out of conversations about American history. And when Black folks were depicted, they were often portrayed as racist misrepresentations and stereotypes, like in the 1915 film The Birth of a Nation. Woodson had been studying Black history for years, and he recognized the need for more historically accurate and less biased accounts of Black historical events and figures. His philosophy was that history is more than just facts about the past. History should be balanced and acknowledge the true role of Black people in it without distorting facts. Woodson's mission to educate people on the actual contributions of African Americans in history and improve relations between Black and white people would drive his work for the rest of his life. Woodson once said, "'If a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated.'" Woodson's efforts served to counter all the damage that had been done to people's perception of Black history and advance a new understanding of Black culture and accomplishments. Woodson documented oral histories from slaves, collected artifacts and historical documents of Black history, sponsored research projects, and wrote hundreds of essays and dozens of books on Black subjects. For years, the historical profession had excluded Black scholars of history and presented historical inaccuracies about African Americans. But there was no organization Black historians were welcome to join at the time. White publications often rejected research on Black history, and libraries and archives didn't carry primary materials about African Americans. So Woodson set out to create platforms where Black historians could present and publish their research. After the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History and the Journal of Negro History were up and running, Woodson founded Associated Publishers to ensure Black scholars would have their work published. These organizations did face financial setbacks, despite the fact that they were able to secure some funding from Black scholars and major institutions. But they succeeded in promoting Black history and the study of Black history. And they increased public awareness of how Black history had been ignored and manipulated. And in 1926, Woodson and the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History proposed the observance of a Negro History Week to celebrate the achievements of Black people. It would take place in February because that was the month of Abraham Lincoln's birthday and Frederick Douglass's observed birthday events that were already celebrated in Black communities. But Woodson wanted people to celebrate the contributions of all Black people, not just two men who people might not even have the most comprehensive knowledge of. The announcement of Negro History Week brought Black history to a wider audience. Schools around the United States began including curriculum to celebrate Negro History Week, and Black history clubs began forming. So the association began providing study materials to educators and it formed branches across the country. And in 1937, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History began publishing the Negro History Bulletin, now called the Black History Bulletin. Its goal is to provide educators with peer-reviewed information about the history of Africans and people of the African diaspora. Woodson's hope, though, was that celebrations of Black history would extend beyond one week. He believed Black history should be acknowledged year-round, and he imagined a day when the week-long commemoration would no longer be necessary. As early as the 1940s, people began celebrating Black history throughout the month of February. And in 1976, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, which had recently changed its name to exclude the word Negro, declared February Black History Month. U.S. President Gerald Ford proclaimed Black History Month a national observance. Debate continues over the necessity of Black History Month. Some claim the celebration of Black history shouldn't be confined to a single month while others claim the commemoration is racist. But today, Black History Month is celebrated in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and other places around the world. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we take a tiny bite of history every day. The day was February 7th, 1497. Followers of the Dominican friar Girolamo Savonarola burned objects that were considered vanities, like books, artwork, and instruments. Though this event is known as the bonfire of the vanities, the term generally refers to burning objects that religious authorities believe incite people to sin. Savonarola became a Dominican monk in 1475. In the following years, he began teaching novices and lecturing on philosophy. And he studied with various lecturers, concentrating on theology. By 1482, he had transferred to the convent of San Marco in Florence, and soon he was preaching in the church of San Lorenzo. He gained a reputation for his learning and austerity, but at first he did not get much attention for his preaching. In 1484, though, he reported his first vision about the scourge of the church. He began delivering prophetic sermons, and he preached in the church of San Gimignano in 1485 and during Lent in 1486. He spoke about the wrath of God and sinfulness, and he called for a reform in the church. At this point, his popularity began to grow. Savonarola preached in several different cities for a while, but in 1490, he returned to Florence. He soon began preaching in the Cathedral of Santa Maria del Fiore, criticizing materialism and the leaders of the world. He also criticized the policies of the government, which Florentine ruler Lorenzo de' Medici took offense to. Though Lorenzo threatened to banish him, Lorenzo soon died, and Savonarola continued preaching. Savonarola prophesied the scourge of Italy, railing against vanity and corruption. He soon led his convent to break from the ruling organization of monasteries that it belonged to, the Congregation of Lombardy. He advocated for other convents to do the same, and he ordered that his monks give up their possessions so that they could raise money for impoverished people. Once Medici rule ended, he began suggesting new policies in his sermons. Plus, his prophecies were panning out. Savonarola quickly became a political authority. He did not hold public office, but under his guidance, a new republic was established in 1495. He immediately set out to help impoverished people, demanding more jobs and telling the churches to melt their gold and silver to buy food for the hungry. He also called for more modesty. Songs deemed profane were replaced with hymns. People began wearing unadorned clothing, and art and other inappropriate objects were burned. Savonarola did have enemies, like the Arabiati and the Tiepidi but he continued to pursue drastic reform in light of the abuses of the church. He denounced jokes, sex, gambling, nude paintings, jewelry, and other luxuries, as well as the humanistic culture of the Renaissance. He shut down traditional festivals and replaced them with religious festivals. In 1497, his supporters gathered donations from Florentine citizens for a fire of repentance. On February 7th, they carried vanities, objects like mirrors, dresses, and cosmetics, to a fire in the Piazza della Signoria and burned them. This wasn't the first bonfire sponsored by the Dominicans, but it is one of the most notable ones. Pope Alexander VI ordered him to stop preaching, but he refused. In May of 1497, the Pope excommunicated Savonarola, who did not stop preaching until March of 1498. Just 2 months after his last sermon, after being convicted of heresy, Savonarola was burned at the stake. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Spend some of your daily social media time with us at T D I H C podcast. Or if you would prefer to email us, you can send us a message at this day at iheartmedia.com. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.